VinePair's New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the VinePair podcast. And uh, Zach, I'm really excited for today's topic because we've uh, we've got Keith, uh, our tasting director, joining us uh, in a little bit to chat about what it, what does and does not make a good wine bar and sort of what the heck a wine bar is in the first place. Um, but before we do that, um, I wanted to sort of just check in on on what's going on. I know we got some some reader mail recently this week, right? Yeah. Some, some questions. Yeah, it's always fun when we get uh, when we hear from you listeners and you have thoughts or comments. And so uh, we got an email from uh, Joel Velasquez. And Joel, thanks so much for your uh, your email. And I wanted to uh, point out, so he I'm not going to read the whole email, uh, but he was um, kind of wrote in reference to our various, uh, let's say, dismissive comments about terroir or, or sort of questioning whether terroir is a real thing. And and he mentioned that he had uh, recently tasted a wine from the Canary Islands and that, you know, the one, as is often said about those wines, they have, you know, the Canary Islands themselves, the, the soil there is um, essentially just like volcanic ash. And he's like, you know, I really tasted that in the wine. Um, and I was like, you know, his, I'll quote him here. He says, you know, I get that terroir is not an actual thing, but how can you explain the wine having this really cool flavor profile? And I think, you know, I want to be clear about something. You know, we're both a little dismissive of terroir, but I'm dismissive of terroir in the sense that, like, I think the term gets vastly overused. I think it is used to describe almost every wine on the planet these days. It's like, oh, it's reflective of our terroir. That isn't to say that wines don't taste a specific way because of where they're grown. I think that is a truism. Well, yeah, it's the same idea of, like, a Georgia peach is way better than a South Carolina or a California peach. That's just a given. Yeah, well, I'm not going to get in the argument on that one. That's that's terroir though. You see what I'm saying? Like that's the easiest way that I can can explain terroir. I don't think terroir is this like magical nymph that like exists and like blesses this one vineyard. But I do think that agriculturally we can all admit, and so can scientists, that certain things taste better grown in certain places. Por ejemplo, the the tomato grown in New Jersey is just better than the tomato grown on a stoop in New York City. That's just duh. And so I think that that's the easiest way to explain it to our friend here is that, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, it tastes different and maybe better or unique because of where it's grown. Also, like there's a specifically special taste of a tomato grown on a stoop in Brooklyn. It's called dusty ash (laughs) that I sometimes get when I bite into it, which you might think is interesting. It's just not better. It's just, that's the flavor. And guys, that's guys and gals. I apologize for just saying guys, ladies and germs, that is terroir. Man, you were knocking me for the dad jokes, but you are coming out swinging. Um, I was going to say that my last little little follow up on this is uh, that I think, um, I think there's also something to be said about, you know, distinctiveness and um, uniqueness are can be really intriguing and, and sometimes really delicious, but they're not in and of themselves hallmarks of quality. So, like, I've tried some wines from the Canary. Exactly. I've tried some wines from the Canary Islands, and, and I can I can sort of agree with what Joel's saying, and in other places with really unique growing conditions, and and they're interesting and sometimes quite tasty. But I think again, you know, the the terroir issue is more to me about either claiming that the only thing that influences a wine's flavor is where it's grown, which just isn't true. There's a lot that goes into it beyond that. And the other part is it's just, again, it's like in our recent podcast about wine terms we want to kill uh, or beverage terms we want to kill. There, It's just a lazy shorthand for like, I don't know, it's a cool special wine. So it's uh, reflective of terroir. So speaking of, uh, you know, things that you might hear <clears throat> said to you, uh, Adam. Do you want to do you want to intro our topic? Because I feel like it kind of feeds. Uh, you didn't want from, more banter little... first. I thought like the banter. Oh sure, was... now tell me what's. I know, oh, no, it's banter, cool. like, banter fine, away. Like, you you know no, it's cool. You want to go straight to you want to get straight to no, the, you're the, the one, program today. You're the one who's you're the one who's got 
you know, the, the, the end of your work day. I still got I still got plenty to do. So please just, keep I'll, me I'm, on the line as I'm long a, as possible. Yeah, I'm totally a good. Well, I mean, as long as it's cool with Nick. I mean, you know, I know we're paying him by the hour. <laughs> so. uh, but, you know, at, at this point, um, you know, it's cool. We're just going to move on from the witty banter. Uh, it's all good. It took us 30 minutes to get this thing going today because the computers weren't working. So we'll just keep it moving. I'm going to um, point out this is a this is a timestamp. But for those of you who have been struggling with the one day when Instagram and Facebook were down. That's not actually why we're struggling to record, but I'm going to blame it on them anyhow because they deserve it. It's totally their fault. Yeah, it's always Instagram and Facebook's fault. But um, so yeah, so today I thought what would be fun to talk about is wine bars. What are they? What should they be? Um, and what makes a good one? And the reason I thought it would be interesting to talk about that is because you're seeing them pop up everywhere, right? Like we sort mm-hmm. of, we mentioned this uh, a few weeks ago, which is when I got the idea when you were talking about in our, again, witty, witty banter section of the program, <laughs> you know, that you, you know, were offering for one of your wife's friends to look at the wine list of a wine bar where, you know, she was doing an event. And, you know, then we questioned whether or not that place was a wine bar to begin with, because uh, the place, you know, didn't really offer that many wines that were that exciting or, you know, were just massive brands. And so I want to follow up with one point about this because did you that get shit dinner for has now happened. No, I didn't get shit for it. But even more amazingly, and this feeds back into a different part of a different conversation they that you didn't and I like had. the wines you picked. No, no, no. They, no, they couldn't even get the wines I picked because the wine list that they were sent and the wine list that was available online was completely inaccurate. It was totally out of date. Yep. And so, guess what? I said no one ever updates their list. I know. <laughs> I know. It's uh, it's definitely – it was just a complete clusterfuck, um, which fortunately I didn't have to really deal with. But it was very funny to hear back. And I was like, so how did, uh, how did they like the wines? And, and my wife was like, well, they didn't even get to order any of them because the list they had was totally different. And so I was like, good. What a, I, what a piece of shit wine bar. So, uh, you know, fortunately, they're not all that bad, but there are some really terrible ones out there. And I think, you know, I'm going to jump into this really quickly, and then I would love to get Keith's thoughts as someone who actually um, ran one. one. <laughs> yeah. Is, you know, you Adam, you said something, I think, on our last podcast that I thought was really interesting, um, or maybe it's two podcasts ago, I guess, which was the idea of a wine bar as the place where one goes to learn about wine. And I think that at its essence, a good wine bar does that. And there are some amazing wine bars out there where you can, as a interested wine drinker, go taste some things, you know, some wines that are from places you're unfamiliar with, made in a style you're unfamiliar with from uh, varietal or varietals you're unfamiliar with. And that's a wonderful thing. I also think a wine bar can just be a good place to go have a good glass of wine because unfortunately there's a lot of places, a lot of restaurants with not a lot of options for you if you want to just go have a So fine, the wine bar is just everything, Zach. No, no, no. But, but the problem is, is that the wine bar concept has become let's pour shitty, widely available wine and serve, you know, whatever the fuck flavor of the month tapas we want or whatever. And it's become, you know, the, it's become the kind of lazy concept that anyone who's like, I like wine, I can open a wine bar. Like, it's galling to me well, as a professional to, to see some of these people who think they can run a wine bar. Well, this is what I'm really, really interested in. And this is why I want to bring Keith in, because I think the, the fundamental question here that we need to answer first and foremost is what is a wine bar? Because you have you have so many different places that put that title next to their name. You have places that say they're wine bars that serve uh, you know wines that you would in a glass that can only be described as the Olivia Pope glass, right? The big bulbous glass mm-hmm. that you sort of swirl and that 
they basically just do cheese and meat plates. And that's really all they do. You have other places that are wine bars that serve the tapas style you're talking about, but not, you know, tapas style in a sense of like they're trying to win any Michelin stars or some shit. You know, not trying to get, you know, two stars from Sam Sifton in the Times. They're just doing, you know, anchovies and maybe like a chicken liver mousse and stuff like that. Then you have the wine bars that are doing these extremely expensive composed small plates. I, I think you're really seeing that in the natural wine bar movement of these places that like they say they're not a restaurant, but they're a restaurant, right? Like, and then you have wine bars that are 100% restaurants, but they, but wine bars next to them. And, and I'm curious if that title of the wine bar and the evolution of restaurant, you know, if the wine bar was put there and then they just evolved into a restaurant. And that's why I'm really curious to talk to Keith. So I'm going to let Keith weigh in right now, our tastings director here, because Keith used to own a wine bar. But what I think is really interesting is that Keith's wine bar actually evolved into a restaurant. So he had let's understand sort of like what you think makes a wine bar and was your place even a wine bar to begin with? Yeah. I mean, a wine bar, the when they started out in, in, in New York, it was just a place and it was mostly Italian because Italian food can be very simple. So the, the simplicity of Italian lifestyle, the simplicity of Italian food – the simplicity of all that stuff really kind of helped people understand Italian wine and, and an Italian wine at the time, because I had an Italian wine bar, the Italian wine at the time was blowing up in New York is when Bastianich's book was out and people were actually starting to get into things like Alianico and Nero Davola and stuff like that. And so that's really what a wine bar was. It was just a place to go sit down and explore. It was an exploratory experience and the service had to be awesome and you had to be open to every question. And that's the whole point of, it was a consumer's space to educate themselves and to experience new stuff. But this is America and we, we started to evolve the idea of the wine bar. And when I first started working at the wine bar that I eventually owned, um, it was not gas. It had no gas. It was just a, it was a wine bar with 16 tables and it had, um, a kitchen with a slicer, a panini machine, uh, a convection oven, and uh, that was basically it. And some in cheeses and meats and stuff like that. It was very, very simple. But the owner of the restaurant that I ended up wine bar that I ended up buying it from, he saw the writing on the wall and he went ahead and invested a ton of money and put gas into the place. And then he started cooking food a little bit, just a little bit, and then eventually became a full on menu. And then we had like you know tapas, so the, the bar stuff, and then we had this. So. It, it, but it took we we were we took the education idea and we spread it into the dining room. We we made sure that our wine bar idea continued into the dining room, continued into the dining experience. And my staff was very good at actually doing the education side behind the bar and doing the education side on the floor. But that's what really what a wine bar is. And as time went on and there's more and more wine bars started showing up, I feel like it's just competition, man. I think people, people that are competing in the, in wine bars are changed. They, they, they changed and they evolved based on what, because how many wine bars can you have in one city that just have tapas, a cheese plate and a meat plate? And then you have to compete. I mean, I get that you have to compete, but I just, I also, I wonder if the wine bar was ever really, a thing to begin with besides there was this reaction among business owners saying, well, we, there's this group of people that want to go out to bars and drink, but they don't want to drink beer. Because to me, the 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 idea when you used to go to a bar before the co- – because I feel like the wine bars 
an older idea than the craft cocktail bar, right? So before, when you went out to drink after work, you went to a bar that either served basically straight liquor or watered down gin and tonics and, you know, vodka cranberries and vodka sodas and tap, tap beer, maybe some, some craft coming in there. Or you started going to these places for other people that felt more sophisticated that served wine by the glass and, you know, mixed nuts and right. So and that, that the wine bar phenomenon began evolving, became, became a thing in the U S as we as Americans started drinking more wine. There was a, you know, like the wine bar scene started happening around 2004, 2003. Well, it kind of started in the two thousands and, and by 2005, it was really kind of rolling. And by then after that, we started seeing articles about how Americans are drinking more wines than ever before. So the wine scene got big in America. And so we responded to that by creating, Creating wine bars, meaning don't worry about beer, don't worry about booze. Here we are. We're just doing wine. The atmosphere is all different. We create wine creates a different atmosphere. Wine creates a different experience. So I think that's probably how it happened. So I have two thoughts here that I think maybe trace this timeline a bit. I think that the the rise of the wine bar definitely tracks with the rise of interest in America with with drinking wine in the first place, obviously. But I think it also springs out of two different uh, but related sort of trends. One is happy hour. So to me, the wine bar is kind of the happy hour restaurant, you know, all day. Because here's it, because, you know, you can have a drink or two, you can have a little something to eat, but there's no expectation that you're having a full meal. And there's no expectation necessarily that you are there for the sort of amount of time um, that is standard for a, a dinner. And so I think, you know, as we have more and more of a culture of of going out after work, and it and that kind of culture has transitioned away from like you know maybe the the sort of what we think of as whether it's the kind of bars that Adam's describing or you know sort of the I don't know the sort of like steakhouse you know kind of dinner whatever thing which obviously still happens um, I think that's part of it and I think it also traces a little bit and I would be curious to to hear perspective on this I, of course this is just sort of my opinion but maybe it has a little bit to do with um, sort of a a little bit more. Um, gender diversity in the workplace, where again, a lot of this tracks to, you know, the kind of venue that a, a group of coworkers uh, of you know both male and female could go, and everyone could kind of find something. It's it's not a absolutely it's not a dive bar, it's not a beer bar. It has absolutely you know, an air of an air of sophistication, but also just sort of a a, a more you know a sort of more gender. Uh, not I don't want to say gender neutral. That's not quite the word I'm looking for. But it's sure. it's not a place that makes I think generally men or women more or you know feel uncomfortable or at least equally comfortable in that space. And I think that has a lot to do with it. I, I think the one question I have for you, Keith, I'm really curious about is you know as mm-hmm. you saw the the bar the wine bar kind of transition into more of a full service restaurant, even keeping the sort of mm-hmm. educational educational philosophy. Is that because in the end it just is impossible to make a go of it in at least in New York when you're not selling full meals? In New York. Yeah, in New York. I mean, you you see any city that starts wine bars, you go to a city that's just getting into wine bars and it all starts out simple and humble. And it always has to evolve because as comp- I, mean, I mean, it's competition. As as it gets more competitive, wh- I mean, like again, like wine bars, you can only be so diverse and so different than the other wine bar. I mean, you can by saying I'm Spanish, I'm Italian, I'm a mix, I'm French. You can do that, but you know, it, at some point, people are going to start looking at that and going, "Well, now I'm going to diversify my wine list because now there's a French one here, there's an Italian one here, and all that kind of stuff." So it kind of that's kind of how it how it starts is you you kind of. You have to move into a different space at some point to 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 offer more. Also, people want more too. 
People start wanting more. People get bored. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is New York too. I mean, people get bored in New York within like minutes, <laughs> you know. And and you know, I mean, I don't know how sustainable uh, it would it would have been if I if the wine bar would never have been a restaurant. I just don't know of a wine bar in New York right now that is just that. That's just meat and cheese. I think every wine bar in New York City right now has has to have something that's different and unique and crazy. And unfortunately, a lot of it's natural wines and that's really kind of like it's a weird place cuz wine bars and the, you're right about the, the the diversity. 75% of my clientele the entire life of my restaurant was female. And wine is a contemplative drink and you're absolutely correct. It was a place people came after work to sit and drink. It wasn't happy hour because it was a little more expensive than happy hour. We you know we would do a happy hour, but like people would stay all night long because it was, it's, it's a place to sit. It's like, it's, it's almost like that, that coffee shop mentality, but you're actually kind of, you're, but you're interacting with everybody instead of um, being on your computer in your own head. So it's like, it's, it's, it's a gathering place and wine just kind of, we, we figured that like America was like, Oh man, wine is good. And it's, it's, it's contemplative and it opens up and it does things. And there's more to a wine than a beer and I mean, I'm, I'm not downing on beer. Beer is completely diverse, but the way wine opens up with oxygen changes. People can explore it, and as they're having a conversation, like, oh, it's changing. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta, I have some beef with you here because I think that like you can say all you want that it was like a contemplative experience and whatever. It, maybe it wasn't in Vino. I mean, I know that it was because I went there. But the majority of wine bars, at least in New York City at this point, are not that. They're not contemplative experiences. I would actually argue that most of them are restaurants where you make a reservation mm-hmm. where, okay, they're a wine bar in the fact that they have a lot of crazy wines on the list, like that maybe they do more wines by the glass than someone else does. But besides that, they're restaurants. And the only bar I can really think of anymore in New York, and I don't know if Zach have ever been, is the Ten Bells that is still truly a wine bar, right, right? that has a crazy list. And, you know, just some, some, some oysters and some other cool food. But like you go there and have a few glasses of wine during the day or in the evening and then you go to real dinner. All the other wine bars want you to have dinner at them and they don't really want you to sit there and chat with the person to learn about the wines because you're seated at a table in which the server – isn't there to interact with you, right? You're not sitting at the bar. The, only, the other place would be Ruffian, right? Ruffian's the other bar in the, you know, in, in Manhattan that I would argue is a true wine bar. They do a lot of food, but at least everyone's sitting at the bar and you're talking to a wine professional about all the different wines. That's what I think of when I think of a wine bar. That's what I expect when I go to a really cool craft beer bar. I want to talk to someone about the beers. If not, I'm just at a restaurant that's saying they're a wine bar and I don't really understand. Well, I think it's, 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 I mean, that's the problem. I mean, people that have restaurants that call them wine bars and don't do the work to actually create the experience and create the wine list. A wine list is a living thing. It's not something that just sits and like, and hangs out. You know, that's why it's so hard for restaurants to keep wine lists fresh online because you, you're just constantly changing and you, you, you should change and you should keep, there are, there are, are wine bars slash restaurants nowadays. Like you, like you said, Zach, in, in, uh, you know, in your experience that they're just, they're just, 
they're just going off the coattails of what we did back in the day. And they're just kind of setting it and going, well, this works. People make money off this. We're going to put, you know, all this shitty wine on this wine list and no one knows what the fuck this is. So it's okay. And and they get away with it for a certain amount of time, but then eventually it doesn't. And the wine bar itself has evolved to the point. I agree that there's, it's not really a wine bar anymore so much as it is a restaurant. And how interesting is that if we can actually take the wine bar experience and extend that, to a restaurant that would actually help our wine culture in general. Well, now we have a restaurant where like, instead of like, you have to go to a wine bar. If you want a good experience, you want people to talk to you about the wine. Don't go to a restaurant because you can't do that. But you can do that at a wine bar. What if we can do that now in both? What if the wine bar, if the wine bar wants to, wants to expand into a restaurant, why don't we take that education and bring it to the table? And then we can actually help everybody. Then we don't have to worry about wine bars so much when everything, all the restaurants give a shit and don't talk to the customers like they're morons. Yeah, I think you know there's there's two kind of things I wanted to say here that are that are interesting to me out of what uh, you guys both said. So the first is this idea that you know I think there is a there is a real fundamental challenge, which is that as much as we would love to sort of um, imagine that there's a big audience for the kind of wine bar experience where people just hang out and have a couple of glasses. I think in the end, you know, we we are there. There are definitely people who love that and enjoy that, and um, but I think they're they're actually fewer and, and further between in, in certainly in much of the country. You know, this is something that I come across a lot here in Seattle, which is you know, for every person that comes in uh, through the doors of the restaurant or whatever who is interested in talking about wine or learning about wine, there are thirty people who just want somebody to drink, and a wine bar has become sort of again this kind of easy. S- kind of easily comprehended kind of establishment um you know and and, and people right. and, and people just they don't want to think that hard about where to go it's it's a kind of widely agreeable people kind of know what to expect even if as it turns out as we're discussing that the people's expectations mm-hmm. either are not in line with the current state of the wine bar industry or they're um you know they're going to be uh, maybe a little disappointed in, in if they go to a real true wine bar it's also you know the the wine bar idea kind of comes out of this more European sort of style of experience. Yeah, it started with that. And it's this idea, like, you know, you said, Keith, that it started with sort of Italian wine bars where the emphasis Mm -hmm. was on, you know, sort of some simple, very straightforward foods, probably some fairly simple, straightforward wines, but it just was a place Mm -hmm. to go have a glass or two of wine, have a little something to eat, and then maybe you went out to dinner, maybe you went home, or who knows what. And the reality is that, like, we, with the a few exceptions in a few places, there's just not a lot of that culture in this country, and and maybe that's changing, and maybe no. maybe the younger generation and is is more inclined to have that kind of you know long convivial evening out. Mm. But in the end, I think most people don't have time for a five hour experience, which includes two hours at a wine bar before you go to dinner. I wish it were otherwise. I think there's something really beautiful about that, and something really magical about a kind of evening that has many components and and they're sort of maybe all centered around food and wine, but it's not one long elaborate tasting menu. It's maybe a couple of stops in the same way that we all went bar hopping when we were younger. Maybe we still do. I don't know. Well, no, but I think, I don't know. I think the reason that it doesn't exist in the same way as romantic as it is, is because we're, you know, we're a fast food culture and we drive everywhere. And so maybe this will change with Uber, but I, you know, the difference is in Italy or France or Spain, you go home to your neighborhood and really this, this can exist in New York, which is why I would like it to. But besides New York, you, you know, you go home to your neighborhood, you park your car, you put it, you know, away and you walked out into your neighborhood and you had a glass of wine with friends at a wine bar or a little trattoria or whatever. And then you went to a dinner. And 
you don't do that in the US because your destination is the one place you're going because then you have to get in a car and go yeah. home. And if you've been drinking and at so, a wine bar, that's know, probably a bad idea. Exactly. And no one wants to drink and drive. So, and they shouldn't. And therefore, you know, you really were one destination stop and shop. So, you know, I guess, yeah, the wine bar just maybe just become code in this country just to mean there's wine <laughs> here and hopefully it's better than the wine at other places. Because besides that, I don't, I don't really know that I could truly define at all what an American wine bar is. I know that in my head, I can totally see what a European, especially what an Italian or French wine bar is. I see them. But I cannot tell you what an American one is. Well, this is so. Th- this is another thing about America. We are a beer and whiskey country. It wasn't until I mean we had prohibition, which messed a lot of things up. Before prohibition, we were working on our wine thing. It was getting to a really good place. Then 1919 happened, and until 1933, it was fucking weird. So, and then after um, after it was repealed, nobody wanted wine. The wine that people were drinking in America during prohibition was sweet alcoholic wine. It was made in. Desto by Ernest and Julio Gallo. It was trucked to Chicago, to the Capones, into Jersey, into New York, and it was in the speakeasies, and that's what they were drinking. Then when Prohibition ended, that's all people really wanted. They wanted mostly beer. They wanted mostly whiskey because it's an American thing. But the wine situation, sweet wine was more popular than still table wine until 1968. And that's only only in 1968 did the tables turn. So what maybe this is this whole wine bar thing. And then when we got into wine in America, it was a meteoric rise of the wine bar in the United States. It started in the cities and it worked its way inward. And maybe – and, and, well, and then we have the internet and then we started getting into wine and then we're overloaded with wine. Now there's a ton of wine everywhere. And maybe America's just kind of started getting a little bit stale on the wine bar. It was fun for a while. Everyone was having a great time. And now maybe we just have to transition because the wine bar isn't really ours, like Adam's saying. It is a place, it is a European idea. We are basically taking that idea and putting it into our social, our society and seeing where it goes. And usually when that stuff happens, especially in the United States, we take it to a whole different level. So that's kind of what probably is happening right now. And that's why like he, like the 10 bells and ruffian here in New York are two, like probably the only two you can really think of outside of every other place that it's kind of a restaurant, but maybe that's what we do as Americans. We get some point, we are no longer going to have wine bars so much. We're just going to have a place. Cause I mean, if you want, you want to talk about drinking and driving, I mean, you can do that with beer, you know, that shots you can, you know, it's not, you know, it's like, I think it's really about Americans and what we, we have a kind of a, a threshold. We have an ADD uh, of, of, of fads and fashions and trends, and maybe the wine bar trend is plateauing. I don't think it's ever going to go anywhere, but it's definitely plateauing because there's too maybe there's too many of them, and it just people got overloaded on it. I'm not really sure. I want to say one last thing, which is that I think you know my advice to people, my encouragement to people is don't get too hung up on the title, but but support restaurants with good wine. You know, with good wine programs, with interesting wine programs that. Um, you know, sort of change things up that offer wines that you can't just find everywhere um, in grocery stores and big, you know, sort of chain restaurants. And, you know, whether your di- your night out is a full dinner or your night out is a couple of glasses of wine and a little something to eat, as long as you're, you know, not being too uh, too difficult about it, I think, you know, those are the kind of places that you should be supporting whatever the, the technical term they use to describe themselves is. Yeah, I completely agree. I think, you know, at this point, <clears throat> the idea of the wine bar really is is no is not any one thing. Uh, it's lots of things, but then also you should know that as a consumer going in, right? If you see the term wine bar, don't expect them all to be super, you know, fantastic with great wine lists. I wish they were that way, but it, 
you know, because it, but it could just be a place that's like looking to get you in because they're just looking to get in anyone who likes who wants to drink wine as opposed to drinking something else. Um, you know, and so don't be offended if you see the Olivia Pope glass or you see, you know, the, the big bulbous glass or you see, you know, wines from large producers that you, you know, normally would get at the grocery store. Because at, at this point in time, like we can't really define what a wine bar is, um, not in America. And so, you know, just go to places that have good wine and you, you got to kind of do some trial and error to figure that out or just read Vine Bear. Yeah, that'll help too. Listen so, to this podcast. I know. So, uh, so Keith, I want to thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah. And uh, Zach, as always, it was a pleasure. Thank you all so much for listening. Um, if you have any thoughts about this episode or have ideas of things you'd like us to talk about in the future, uh, drop us a line at podcast at vinepair.com. Again, podcast at vinepair.com. And uh, we will see you right back here next week. Sounds great. Thanks for listening to Vine Pair. We'd love to hear what you think. Feel free to drop us a line at podcast at vinepair.com. And if you really love the show, we'd love if you rate it and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Reviews and ratings really help other people discover the show. Now for the credits. Vinepair is recorded in New York City at Vinepair headquarters and in Seattle, Washington at Cloud Studios. Our engineer is Nick Patry, and the show is produced by Zach Jawal and me. Our show logo was designed by Daniel Gridberg. Special thanks as well to the entire VinePair staff, including but not limited to my co-founder, Josh Mallon, and our editor-in-chief, Emily Saladino. Thanks so much for listening, and see you next week.